Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Abstract Podcast brought to you by SpotDraft. My name is Tyler Finn. I lead community for SpotDraft, and I am so excited to be joined today by my friend Lydia Chuk, the GC and Corporate Secretary of Away. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for inviting me. I am a big fan of Away, actually. I've had an Away suitcase for going on, I think, seven years, and it's got to be hundreds of thousands of miles with my penchant for travel. So even before I knew you worked at Away, I was a huge fan of the brand, and I'm really, really excited to have you here. The suitcases are actually indestructible. (laughs) I think it's time that you buy, like, two, three, four, five more. Just saying. (laughs) And then then there'll be an IPO in the future. Just just buy some more suitcases, Tyler. Well, I want to give some folks a little bit of background on you. Lydia's had a super interesting career. She got her law degree from NYU. She still is a New Yorker and started her career at Goodwin. And then, as we'll talk about, she worked at the Blue Man Group. Yes, the one with the people in the blue faces beating on the drums, doing an awesome show. And then at First Look Media before joining Away. So Lydia, I want to kind of go back to the beginning. And even before you went to law school, what inspired you to become a lawyer in the first place? So I would love to be able to say that I had this like huge multi-decade grandmaster plan, but I can't. Like many people, I think, I didn't know what being a lawyer would mean when I chose to go to law school. And I definitely had no informed view of what life would be like after law school. And I think looking back, it seems super naive now, but I wanted to have this really robust academic experience. So I had imagined law school and I don't know where, probably from like a movie or something. I imagined law school to be this place where there's all these smart people and I could study some really interesting and maybe lofty philosophical subjects. Look, at the end of the day, it all worked out. But now when I talk to people thinking about going to law school, I try to impress upon them. They should really consider what a career for them would look like. I mean, big picture, what are your goals? But also very small picture, what do you want your day-to-day to to look like? Because you might be working quite a lot. Uh, And by the way, totally okay if the answers to those questions change over time, because those answers change for me all the time still. Yeah, I mean, that really resonates with me, right? I can't even imagine sort of where I am today, even five years ago, right, being part of some master plan. So it's refreshing, actually, to hear from someone who, you know, didn't think I was going to go to law school, and then I was going to become a clerk and, and sort of was following just curiosity and general interest. And that led you to Goodwin, and then to Bloom Man Group. I'm really excited to hear about Blue Man Group, but talk us through those early days of of being a lawyer and and what ultimately led you to your first in-house role. Yeah. So like many law school graduates, I was a corporate associate. And like many corporate associates, I knew from the beginning that the law firm was never going to be my long-term career path. And I remember still so clearly, I will not name the other law firm, but I was a mid-level. I was in a conference room surrounded by lawyers. And I literally thought, Lydia, you have three months to find a new job. Like (laughs) I I was like, and I had to give myself a time frame. Otherwise the time just keeps ticking and ticking and you're working all the time. Right. So I literally started calling everyone I knew, especially those people who were not lawyers, because I was thinking, hey, I could leave the law. I could do something else. And essentially, I heard about the Blue Man Group job through a job posting. I didn't know anything about them. 
I knew there was a theater show. I didn't know anything about what was in the job posting as far as the actual tasks that were listed, but I called the theater producer that I knew at the time, and I asked if she knew anything about the organization or if she knew what any of this job description meant, and she said no, but she's like, hey, I'm sure you can do it. So I'm like, yeah, I can totally do it. So I applied, interviewed, and took that leap off of the typical associate track. So that really was kind of a risk. Tell us a little bit about what your experience there was like, because it sounds like you were entering into something where you were almost making up the job itself as you went and and really having to sort of forge your own path within the Bloomberg group. I think that's probably an apt description. The truth <laughs> is, is that I think they didn't know what they wanted They had never hired a lawyer before. And you have to remember, this is an arts organization that at the time was owned and run by the original three artists who founded the group. They did have a lot of legal work. They used outside counsel. They used Paul Weiss. And that Hmm. lawyer is still my friend today. So they knew they had to do something in-house, but they really had no idea what that role would mean. So the good news is I got to really set the footprint for what that role looked like. But it was really early in my career. I was in my 20s. I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned everything on the job. But the beauty of that at the time, and I think this is part of what made that experience so special, is that we were all learning everything together. So there are people that I worked with back then who are still some of my best friends because we all grew up together there. Sure. Um, And we were lucky enough to be really, really successful. So it was like a startup and we like grew this brand. We grew the show. Revenue was amazing. We expanded internationally and I got to ride that wave and I got to learn while I was in that seat. So it was really, really incredible. And I've got to ask, were the perks pretty good? Like, did you get free theater tickets? Do you still get free theater tickets? (laughs) I will say that I got to do some really amazing travel because of the international rollout. I mean, yes, obviously theater tickets without question. And actually, like now that you bring that up, some of my best friends now are still in theater. And so I still have a pretty strong foot in that world. And as a New Yorker, I think that really just adds to my life and my experience. Absolutely. Then you took another role as first legal hire again when you were moved to first look. And first, let's let's just start and like kind of set the stage. Like, tell us a little bit about first look because it's not a household name, but it is a pretty interesting. It was a pretty interesting sort of idea. Interesting co-founders, and then I've got a few questions about your time there. Yeah. So first look was an incredibly rare opportunity also that I could never pass up. And this is why. So it's, I mean, it still exists. So at the time it was an entertainment studio startup. That's very, very rare because it's an almost impossible thing to do. We were founded by and fully funded by Piero Midiar, who's one of the Mm -hmm. eBay founders. And so I was the first legal hire. I started there very, very early on. It was, you know, we were just putting together a leadership team and, you know, carving out a strategy and forming those relationships in the business. When I say the business, I mean show business. I still say things like that. <laughs> business. But that was a really interesting company because it was a startup entertainment studio. This is, and again, I would say like, that's super, super rare. It was so fun. It was really fun because it felt like we had freedom to do so much. And I will say that 
I almost want to say that's the hardest I've ever worked. And I was a corporate associate, but I worked so much because I took too long to hire up my team. So that is always Mm -hmm. a tip that I always give people. If you're the first legal hire, start thinking about your hiring immediately. It will always take longer than you think. And I have this problem where I'm like, I can just do it myself. (laughs) No. We may suffer from the same affliction. (laughs) I suspect you might be the same, Tyler. But, you know, so I took too long to hire up. I did eventually hire my team, who I love and I still love. And that was its own special brand of chaos, right? It's startup chaos, but I think every startup has its own particular wrinkle around what kind of chaos. And I have learned over the years that that is a chaos that appeals to me. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that every lawyer feels this way. But I love the building. I love the building of the process. I love, you know, there's so much going on and it's really, and it's excruciating, but it's so fun. <laughs> Type two fun. Yeah. I want to I ask, how long did it take? When did you decide to make your first sort of hire? Because, and I thought about this too, you know, you enter a new place, you think, well, maybe I'm just going to take six months to get my feet under me. And also I don't necessarily want to ask my boss or the CEO or whomever it is for resources right at the point of joining or even a month or two in thinking like there may be still a lot that I have to learn about this place. You're saying that the sort of like time to actually be able to hire, even if you start right at the start, like how long did it take you ultimately to get your first sort of team member there? It took over a year and that was a total mistake. And again, I think it's because I'm the person who's like, oh, well, I can just do this all myself. I mean, it both at Blue Man Group and at First Look, it was people telling me Lydia, Mm. you need to hire. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're waiting for, but you need to get on it. And I was like this. And, you know, this is me looking up from my computer. What? Oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. So, yeah, it took too long. And I also sometimes take a long time to hire because I want someone who's great. Mm -hmm. I think it is worth waiting a little bit longer to find someone who's really, really excellent and a lot of it is, you know, not just the technical skills, but it's just, it's a culture fit. And it's also someone that you're going to want to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. And how do you evaluate that? And we'll talk about this a little bit more and sort of like how you've built the team at a way more recently, but how do you evaluate the sort of softer side or do I really want to spend, you know, 12 hours a day with this slightly different, but similar. too much. <laughs> How do you screen for that? I mean, a lot of chatting. I mean, I would do more than just, you know, a virtual interview. If you can do it in real life, that's much better. I think it reveals more than just, you know, a 30-minute conversation over Zoom. I think for me personally, I think I kind of know pretty quickly. I'm just a really open person. And so I think that probably invites other people to just be themselves. And so you just get there a little bit quicker. That makes sense. And then there was a way, which is very cool. And also a little bit of a pivot for you, right? Moving out of media and into D2C at a time when D2C was, and still is, by the way, but like was super, super hot between Away and Warby Parker and Casper and all of these very cool New York companies Uh, Tell me how you made that leap and how you ended up at Away. And then we're going to talk quite a bit about what's happened since. So again, my experience at First Look was completely invaluable. I think it was also very singular in certain ways and I had a great experience. But over that time, I think I realized maybe entertainment's not my thing, 
right? It's the work is very specific. The cadence of that is very specific. I started thinking about other things I wanted to do. And I found out about the job at a way, the old fashioned way, a job posting. Job postings do work sometimes, people. And my predecessor, the GC who was in the seat at the time, we knew tons of lawyers in common, which I didn't know when I reached out to him, but I reached out to him and it was just very casual. I'm like, hey, Josh, looks like you're looking. Let's talk. And we literally met. He needed someone with really strong media experience, basically, because that was a gap in his experience. And then away, obviously, being so heavily embedded in social and right all like, especially at the time. I mean, now it's totally normal, but at the time, like all these DTC brands, like you know that you mentioned earlier, were all coming up, and it's we were creating content in different ways that hadn't been, you know the norm in the past. And so he wanted someone with really strong media advertising experience. And that was me. Mm -hmm. And because we knew, I think it's because we knew so many people in common and we just, it was just really great. Like we felt very quickly, this is a good fit. I think I was hired three weeks later. It was Wow. That's fast. That's amazing. Yeah. And it felt really great. I was shifting into an entirely new industry that was surprisingly not hard at all. It felt pretty seamless. And it was really fun. I was learning so much. And I was already sold on the brand because I had already owned two away suitcases before I joined. So that was kind of just super exciting. And you've been away at away for five years now? How long? Since 2018. Since 2018? Yeah. So Let's talk a little bit about the sort of like founders of Away, developing deep relationships with the executive team. And and I'm curious about that both early on and also, you know, as there have been transitions, right, as the business has moved through different sort of leadership models, right? How do you maintain that sort of trust and continue to build those strong relationships with your peers on the exec team? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I mean, back in 2018 and 19, we were in this really early hyper growth phase. And I think building those relationships was very different than probably what it would look like now, right? Everyone was like all hands on deck. The hyper growth just meant like there was just kind of this chaos and everyone was doing all the things, right? So I think the relationships just grew very organically. Um, I did the lion's share of the day-to-day work, which meant I worked with every single team all the time. And I think legal typically has a seat at the table. If you're lucky, legal has a seat at the table. So building those relationships just happened, right? Because I necessarily had to work with exec team founders. One, because we were all doing it together. Now we're a much more mature company. Our exec team like all those seats are filled by true industry veterans. We're just at a different stage now. So, you know, I've been there the longest of anyone on the exec team. And so from my seat, I think what I do, what anyone should be doing, like any team member, like I try to be supportive. I help with transition. I share context. And I also lead my team to try and help through any kinds of transition. So my team has been with me for a while now. And because they're pretty long tenured, you know, since like 2019, which for a way is a really long time. Um, So we've together as a team have seen a lot of changes, like, you know, reorgs, etc. But I think that we can provide a bit of a through line and a kind of like a steady foundation in some ways for other teams. So when they're having a little bit more transition or a little bit more tumult, 
like our processes remain the same. That makes sense. I want to ask you a follow-up there at, you know, through that transition, how have you kept your team motivated, right? I mean, keeping, keeping a whole team, not just for four years, but also four years from 2019 to present through the pandemic, through a time when a lot of employees were looking for new opportunities or jumping ship sort of in light of a pretty hot job market. Like, how have you kept folks really motivated and wanting to stay to, to work with you and continue to build away? That's a good question. I think about it a lot. I think there's a few things. For me, I provide my team with a lot of autonomy because I think that's what people want. Right. So, I mean, I can also do that because they're amazing. Right. Like they do great work. They're very committed to the company. They're very good professionals. And most of them are, I mean, I also don't have people on my team who it's their first job out of college, like that kind of thing. So I think providing autonomies, if you can, is invaluable to employees. They also, for the most part, get to work completely remotely, which is not (laughs) true. That's not true of all the other teams at Away, but to me, that's a retention lever. And also something that I always try to offer is the opportunity to learn and to do new kinds of work. So I always say, even when interviewing or recruiting for my team, I always say we decide on what the role is working on. It's based on two things. One is the needs of the business, but two mm-hmm. is what are you interested in doing? right? So it's both of those things. So if someone on my team says, you know, I want to work more on the brand side, I'm super open to that conversation, right? Okay, what does that look like? What kinds of things do you want to work on? Let's keep an eye on that. Because like me, I think they want to learn and that makes their experience more rich. And it's something that they could take with them to their next job if they want that, right? So those are kind of the things I focus on. And also, I think like we're lucky we have a team that we all like really get along and we like each other and we like working together. So I think that really helps. As we were prepping, we had a sort of long conversation around coaching and establishing culture. You know, you've talked a bit about providing folks with opportunities. How do you also think about the flip side of like, we need to have sort of a little bit of a unified culture within this team. And sometimes there's some coaching that needs to happen to to make that happen for the team? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that we talk about, I mean, we talked about it much more in the past, but they've been together with me for a while. Right. But I think I've been very clear and I think they agree, like, how are we going to show up? So how do we show up to the rest of the organization? So obviously within our team, like we're total safe space, but I think I've made my expectations extremely clear as to like how we should you know, show up to the rest of the organization. And it's not a problem because it's what they want as well, I think, which is we will always be helpful. We are always business first. We will be your thought partner. We will help you come up with a creative solution. And I think being business first is number one, really important. But number two, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes other teams find that refreshing because they've had experience with maybe legal teams at other jobs they've had where they haven't felt that. And legal in a way is actually really highly valued, right? Like you've, you've built a great reputation within the business. For those folks who may be stepping into a role as GC, taking over a position where, you know, maybe things are a little bit more tenuous with the other functions. Do you have advice for people who, who might be in, in that sort of position? 
Look, I'm so grateful that Away values our legal team, and I know not everyone enjoys that. So I don't have any magic bullets here. The short answer, it's marketing. So I think it's <laughs> lawyers. It's marketing people. Lawyers often forget that they have to market themselves and their teams. And I think, and I get it because I have this impulse as, as well. We're somehow trained to think that the work's just going to speak for itself. And sometimes it can. And so the excellent work is the baseline, of course. But you have to remember all the other teams, they're doing it. They are marketing themselves to the organization. Absolutely. So it's that kind of visibility that one should try to have for their own team. And that could be like really easy things. In the early days, I did office hours. It was an hour a week. It was a drop-in policy. I met so many team members that way. And then that's kind of where I would get like, what's really going on? Because you can have like chit chat, right? And you would learn a lot about the context of why decisions are being made. And I think it also made the legal team feel very accessible, right? There's really no downside to doing the office hours. So you do an hour every week. You could put it on the Slack. Hey, drop into this. You can do it virtually. You can just write, just log on to a Hangout. Um, If no one shows up, you're just working at your desk anyway. If 20 people show up, then that's great too, right? So that's something I always recommend, especially if you're just really trying to establish your team into the company. Trainings, I know everyone says you should do trainings, but you actually should do trainings. I believe that like at Away, I work with a lot of really smart people and they want to learn the same way I want to learn, right? And so I find that those trainings tend to land really, really well. And there's always really good feedback. And of course, you just have to tailor them depending on what's needed in your company, right? So like I have an IP training that I've done and then, you know, the marketing team is like, oh, oh, and it's really interesting to them, right? But it's yeah. also a way for us to explain the context under which we work. So when we ask questions or make decisions, they understand where that's coming from, right? Like we're not just asking sure. these questions because we're just doing that. We're doing it because we have to do it. So I think it helps everybody. Another thing you might want to do is just, you know, work on and create policies that no one else is focusing on. So Hmm. Gin up that Gen AI policy. Do it. If no one else is doing it, do it. Or your document retention policy. Go do that. It might not be fun, right? And so that just kind of brings in cross-functionally a lot of other people into your fold. And then you collaborate on something and you're providing value for the company. I would also say data. So whatever data you have, when I tell my exact team, oh, my team reviewed 300 contracts this quarter. Like that number sounds Mm -hmm. really impressive and no one else is thinking about what your team is doing other than you. So I think just people and people love the data. So if you have it, share it. And then I think the last thing is kind of what we talked about before, which is brand. So this is what I talk about sometimes and it makes the lawyers nervous a little bit, but like, what is your team brand? And all that means is how do you want the rest of your organization to perceive your team, even if it's subconsciously, right? So my team talks about mm-hmm. how we're the team of yes, and we're only half joking. That's our brand. We're the team of yes. I'm really proud of the way my team shows up. We're here to enable the business. It's all the things I said before, right? We are business forward. We're the team of yes. We're going to get you there. If you want to do something, even if we 
are like, oh, it's not great, but let's go through all of the risk and let's decide what makes sense for the business. So the answer will be yes. I really love that word brand, actually. And I want to talk about it not just in the context of the team, but also sort of you personally. How do you how do you think about your team brand sitting alongside your, your sort of personal professional brand? Because this is something that you've thought quite a bit about. Yeah. I mean, look, the team brand is something that I focus on a lot more because, of course, that requires me disseminating that. And I think it's a little bit of a North Star that my whole team, like we can all row in the same direction on that. Right. And I think that not only is great for the business, but it's great for us as lawyers on a personal level. That's for every individual. That's very, very personal. And mm-hmm. P.S. by using the word brand here, it sounds a bit like I'm treading into this like territory reserved for influencers on Instagram. But <laughs> But so, but I'm not meaning it doesn't have to be that deep, right? And it's not even something you have to necessarily articulate aloud, but it's really about how do you move through the world? So, whether that be in a professional setting or not, right? And all of us go to networking events or we meet people professionally or we go to work, right? So, what does that look like for you in a way that's very comfortable that you think other people can value? So, and it has to be incredibly authentic. Like it, it's not a persona you're putting on. So for me, I don't have a moniker for my personal brand. It's not like we're the team of yes, but I care, but I carry myself really in a very open, casual kind of way. So if I meet you in a professional setting, I'm happy to discuss that new Gen A. AI policy that you just ginned up to give your team more visibility, but Mm -hmm. I'm probably way more interested in the last vacation you took. And that's just authentic to me, right? I think I do meet lawyers in a professional setting who they want to talk about the policy and they want to talk about those things. And that's great too. But for me, I think I'm more comfortable taking a very, very personal approach. I'm just better at it, right? And It's just something that I've noticed that other people are very receptive to, but that's personal to me. Something I don't do is I don't think I need to prove that I'm smart. I don't think I need to prove that I'm a good lawyer. I would like to think that in a professional setting that we GCs get that presumption. So there's no need for me to flex in that way. And look, at the end of the day, I think people are attracted to and want to work with people that they enjoy and that they're comfortable with. And so for me, those personal conversations move that needle. And in any event, I can only be myself. And to try not to be myself in something else is, that would be disastrous, basically. I love that. You don't need to be anybody but you. Well, thanks, Tyler. (laughs) And I can confirm that you do like asking about vacations when you get together for coffee or lunch with someone. I can, from personal experience. (laughs) As we sort of like wrap up the journey at a way, tell us a little bit about how it shaped you as a lawyer and as a leader. I think, I mean, Away has been incredible, right? Because I started there when we were in this insane hyper growth and Away was enjoying, like we were a brand explosion and that was an incredible rare opportunity, I think, that I had to join a company in that time. And so that was really, really fun, right? So again, I was 
tasked with doing the lion's share of the day-to-day work. So that meant, and working with all the teams. So then I'm setting a process with all of the teams. I'm also hiring up our team, right? So mm-hmm. I hired up the rest of our people. I'm doing all the things. It's a ton of work, but it's super, super fun. I learned so much. And again, I'm in a new industry. So that was an incredible learning experience. Um, and then there was a pandemic, right? Yeah. And so it kind of, you have to build other muscles when the company's going through a really tough time. Nobody's traveling. No one's buying travel goods. It was, you know, 2020. I mean, I know we're not alone on this. 2020 was hard. And I think all of sure. us as players were dealing with situations no one had dealt before. We were answering questions that no one had asked before. You're trying to kind of keep your company together in a cultural way. And everyone's kind of scared and everyone's suddenly working from home. And right. So there were just all of these things. But I think the great thing about being, well, one of the great things about being a lawyer is that in really good times, like the hyper growth, you get to do all these incredible things and it's really hard work and there's chaos, but it's so incredible and everyone's really happy. But in the down times, it's much more challenging, but the opportunity to learn is 100% there. And yeah. you might even be able to say that the value a lawyer can bring to a company in tough times is even more ample than in good times, because it's tough times that people really lean on lawyers. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not as fun, but it definitely builds your skill set. It builds who you are as a leader. It builds who you are as a person. So it's been, you know, a little bit of a roller coaster. And then we moved into, you know, a recovery period in 21. 22 was amazing because you may have noticed everyone, including you, Tyler, decided they had to buy luggage. Okay, you didn't buy luggage, but you had to travel. <laughs> I had to travel. You had to I travel. Created, and every- I, created, I created a lot of opportunities for my luggage to get broken by someone on a tarmac. <laughs> for- Correct. And you are not alone. So everyone traveled. So, I mean, the recovery was incredible. And so then we kind of just went up this wave again, right? So mm-hmm. it's being here has been all the things. I've got a couple of fun questions for you. I noticed that you are on a, a jury for NYU Law's Venture Fund. That's pretty cool. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. So I'm really grateful to have been asked to join this fantastic group of people. My friends there, the jury is comprised of NYU law alums who are in finance, VCs, some GCs, some entrepreneurs. And the goal of that organization is to foster community around entrepreneurship at NYU law, especially because I think, and sure, of course, most people who graduate from NYU law become lawyers. Sure. And some have real have a lot of interest in being entrepreneurs and starting their own thing. And so we want to support that. So it's really great. And throughout the year, we have law students and alums pitch the jury with their startup ideas. We offer grants to a lot of those folks and we offer them really good feedback, which is, I think, probably equally important to them. Um, mm-hmm. And they get to talk to a group of people that maybe they normally wouldn't have access to. So it's just really fun. The coolest idea that you've seen is, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think what's actually really interesting is that the ideas are so across the board, 
right? Mm -hmm. So there's been like biotech. We recently had one that was around like an experiential event. So it's just like all different business models, but it's just cool to see that people are germinating these really cool ideas and really committed to them. Another sort of fun question, and I'm really glad that that you said yes to answering this one because I love it. What's a book that's inspired you professionally and one that's inspired you personally as well? Okay, so I want to be able to tell you that I'm a person who reads books all the time. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I just don't. You like, um, you like hearing like, about other people's vacations, but you don't have the opportunity yes. to take a lot yourself. <laughs> you don't have a lot of time to read books. <laughs> Correct. That is correct. And I think it's because I think I, maybe I read too much for my job, but I just listened to my first audiobook. I had never listened to a book before because I was really strictly very podcast driven and it was recommended to me. It's Shonda Rhimes, The Year of Yes. Okay. Um, and look, I'm a yes person. Like I like to say yes to life. I like to do new things. I like to meet new people, all of those things. But it was just a great reminder. And especially if you're not familiar with her, like she's the showrunner and the creator of like Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and like, right. And so she's one of the most powerful women in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. She's black and she's a single mom to three kids. Hmm. And she got to be the hardest working lady in show business. And she's worked just really hard and she has earned every single penny and every accolade that's gone her way. And I'm never going to be as cool as Shonda, but (laughs) that book was totally inspiring. You and me both. You haven't left showbiz entirely. You still got a little bit of showbiz left in you. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to dig deep, Tyler. A little bit of showbiz. Final question for you. What's some advice you've got for young attorneys or something that you wish you could have told yourself when you were very early embarking on this career in law? I would say, don't be afraid to go off the beaten path. It's going to be okay. I promise. It's going to be okay. I totally agree. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Abstract and for sharing your insights with our community. And listeners, hope to see you next time on our next episode. Thanks very much. Thanks, Tyler.